Abandon all hope, ye who podcast here. Welcome to hell. Boy. Hell, hell boys. We're the hell boys. It's a Andrew and Craig. Andrew and Craig, we're the hell boys. Welcome to our podcast. It's a podcast and then a podcast with the Overdue Podcast. Um, we are talking Wait, gotta, about... I feel like we could take the opportunity to change that. No, we're in hell. You have to <laughs> keep it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It is hell. Um, so we are going to be talking for as long as we need to about Dante's Divine Comedy, um, starting all three of them. Yeah, we're going to start with the Inferno. We're just going to lump all three of them into hell because that's fun. Um, we know I that think it's not. All, all the scholars agree, and I can say <laughs> as somebody who's read a lot of commentary on scholarship at this point yes. that everyone agrees the inferno is the most fun one yeah we're gonna have and a lot the purgatorio of fun. is fine and and even the hardcore dantists are like purgatorio or no wait, wait paradiso huh yeah a little bit that's i feel like that'll be a fun maybe we'll be like oh maybe we just want to play the hits on this episode we'll see what happens when we get to paradiso yeah so this is hellboys take me down to paradiso city am i right um it's our new where the Grass is green and the souls are pretty. Yep. Um, we are reading a verse translation by Robert and Jean Hollander. Um, they are uh, married. And uh, he is a, he was a scholar, he was a professor at Princeton and taught Dante for like 40 something years. Um, so he was primarily responsible for the translation and then the copious notes, which I'm, we are going to talk about because it is like, there's a lot of notes. It's David Foster Wallace-esque, <laughs> these footnotes. And then she, Jean Hollander, was responsible for transforming it into verse. And did you know, did you did it come up when you were researching? She died in like April. I just, I was just confirming that. That's really yeah, sad. She passed, she passed away on April 10th. Oh. Um, huh. Well. Yeah, she she was born in, in Austria and... Her family like fled from the Nazis. Yes, and, I did know that. Yeah, and she helped care apparently for for Robert after a stroke in two thousand four. There's not a lot of information available on the two of them, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, Google auto filled when I was looking for Gene Hollander. It auto filled oh, Gene Hollander obituary, and I was like, "Wow, oh, the internet is awful." There, that's too bad. There is a uh, like a, a little interview with them in the New York Times in 2001, written by Lynn Wilde, W-E-I-L, if you want to go read it. It's called, In Person, This Marriage Takes a Bit of Explication. And <laughs> it's just about them starting in on this project. Someone writes that sort of thing about my marriage <laughs> one day. Like, jeez. They came to an agreement that whoever lived longest would be the one who gets to revise the books because uh, they knew that it was going to take a long time to do. Um, they got married on April 23rd, 1964, so they wouldn't forget their anniversary because that's Shakespeare's birthday because they are beautiful nerds. Bunch of nerds. Um, and story goes is that Robert was trying to do his own translation. He was reading the 1939 translation by John Sinclair. He was having trouble. Gene looked over his shoulder and basically went, ew, and said, ew. I could do it. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, over the course of a couple of years, they did all three, and their translation in 2008 was honored by, I guess, like the city or municipality of Florence with mm -hmm. a gold medal for honoring Italy and yeah. this big it's, Italian it's, poem. It's funny that, so um, Inferno, their Inferno translation came out in 2000 and then Purgatorio in 2003 and then the uh, 
than Paradiso in 2007. But if you read, there is a there's a piece that you found yeah. from like amidst this process where they were like, oh yeah, we we like to finish it up by like 2003, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that just how it always goes? James Cameron Avatar over here, am I right? Boy, don't let's not. There's gonna be, be like insulting. five of those movies. This is like the Duke Nukem Forever of. <laughs> Of divine comedy translations, yep, sure. Um, so the the translation itself, um, there's like a four page translator's note, and I was like, wow, this this guy has less to say about his translation than uh, mm. than Emily Wilson did. Mm. And then I discovered, oh no, you're wrong. He just spread it out over a million footnotes. Yeah, but he says. Um, this is a uh, ninety something he wrote in in ninety seven ninety eight. Uh, we have tried to bring Dante into our English without being led into the temptation of making the translation sound better than the original allows. Mm, mm. Okay. Um, and he makes he he writes at at some length about how you know when you do a translation like they they didn't read um. They didn't read verse. Tra- we decided early on that we would not consult contemporary verse translations until after we had finished our work so as to keep other voices out of our ears. But they did lean heavily on like older translations and older mm-hmm. um, scholarship on the grounds that, you know, you, you should build on what came before and and sort of converse with it instead of ignoring it. Yes. Um, I mean, Wilson's translation definitely does that that, too. I think her her more concise modern translation is is a response to older highfalutin ones yeah 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 yeah. um Um, and so the original italian uh that is written in terza rima or terza rima um in like an which literally is third rhyme yeah third rhyme um and it's every verse is like aba and then the next verse will be bcb and then the next one will be cdc in terms of rhyming um, and the, in that New Yorker article, I think you mentioned, Andrew, they said that to reproduce the comedy in English terza rima, you would need like 4,500 triple rhymes, uh-huh. which is very difficult to do in English. And in Italian, where a lot of words end with a vowel, it's way easier to do that. Yeah. Um, so they made a compromise to put it in blank iambic pentameter, which we are familiar with, um, though it does not Love rhyme. Love in pentameters. Yep. Um, Iambic, get out of here. Yeah, the uh, iambic, you're ambic. Oh you know, <laughs> I am in hell. Um, <laughs> and then in a New York Times book review article, I found um, also talked about like one of the things that the committee does in Italian is that you know that rhyme allows you to kind of perpetually be pulled pulled forward and reference the the rhyme that came before, and you lose that a little bit, obviously, in the unrhymed English. But they did like. And maybe we'll we'll talk about how we're going to read this, I guess. But like, they did find a way to have a lot of sentences broken up across lines, so you mm-hmm. still have this feeling like you have to keep going, like you don't get stuck on stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think all all translations, and and I think we probably talked about this a little bit with Wilson, but there is no way to preserve every single facet mm-hmm. of the original language mm-hmm. when you are translating something. And the the you know the the articles the reviews of the thing I read the interviews with them was a lot of it was about okay when you decide to do a new translation and they did say you know we we are doing this because we think we are adding something to the canon like why why do it unless yeah, you're adding yeah. something um, 
you need to kind of choose what to emphasize and what to throw out. And so, yeah, the, the rhyming was, was the part that got thrown out in favor of sticking closer to, to Dante's original meaning. And there are some, um, passages in in that new yorker article which is a million miles long and apparently appeared in print so like i don't know how many you know, pages that was 2007 was a headier time <laughs> <laughs> um but but yeah it, it was it, it has a couple of passages from older translations thrown up next to the the hollander stuff and yeah, it is it is a more concise and more direct translation because it doesn't have to twist itself into rhyme like translators don't necessarily try to to recreate the aba bcb cdc thing because that just sounds wild horrible yeah. to have to do in english but they do try to preserve like maybe vowel sounds or maybe consonant sounds mm-hmm. like there's a lot of slant rhyming that happens yes and that is they're they're not trying to twist to do that uh, in um, this translation this article since we've mentioned a bunch of times it's called cloud nine a new translation to the paradiso by joan Acochella from August 2007. It should be noted, I don't think we've even said it, the edition that I have, Andrew, I don't know if you're using a digital edition or not. I am. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to know how this is handled there because my edition has the Italian printed on the left hand and the English on the right. So yeah, the, the, what I'm reading is it's all English, but it's filled with hyperlinks. So every oh, line, every line oh, that has no. a footnote after it has an arrow. Ew. <laughs> and then it links you right to the footnote. And then at the end of each footnote, it says go back to English or go back to Italian. Whoa. So it, it, I think it has the English and the Italian as two big chunks. And then it is using the ebook format to let you jump back and forth. Okay. And this, this, uh, their translation is hosted. I found it on the the Princeton website. Yes. I think. Yes. They have, and it's obviously from like the early 2000s. It looks very strange on a high resolution yeah, Hollander, screen right now. But he's taught at Dartmouth and Princeton, and at both places, he established things called the Dante Project, which are kind of multimedia wikis, early aughts wiki projects. Um, Sounds Dante. Yow! That are both basically this book, but in internet form, which is kind of cool. I can't get enough of this Dante this guy. This is great content. Let's talk about like where the poem came from briefly, and then I guess we'll get into it. <laughs> you, neither of us have read this, so this was this was an interesting thing as part of um, Stop Homer Time when we were doing the Odyssey. You had read it. We had both read it. Um, but you probably more recently than I had. Well, and I was I was aware of some subset of like scholarly yeah. debates about I'm about going the thing in mostly, and about the Homeric question and whatever. I know nothing about this. Here's one. what I know nothing. about hell is like mostly from heavy metal album covers. So like we're gonna find out what is actually going on in this poem. And I don't really know much about Dante except that you know the Renaissance and. I know he died of malaria in 1321. Great. Cool. So cool. that's a way to go. Um, I know that he was promised in marriage to a woman named Gemma Donati when he was 12, but he did fall in love with, we think, a woman named Beatrice, who we'll talk about when we get into the poem. Uh-huh. Um, he claimed to have ancient Roman ancestry, Andrew, but the or- earliest relative we know about that was mentioned in the parody, so it was only from 1100 Common Era. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a that's a thing that's going to come up, especially in Inferno, because yes. 
everybody who is in hell, at least these first circles that we meet, is basically there because they hadn't invented Jesus yep. yet. Yep. <laughs> and people could be <laughs> people couldn't be Christians yet, so you couldn't get into heaven. It's true. Um and he is he is really explicitly both because his guide and and the the person in Inferno in all these these books is the pilgrim but it's dante it is dante <laughs> like it's dante andrew we we think we know when dante was born because of how old he makes the character dante in the poem <laughs> so we date his birth to roughly 1265 common era because at the beginning of the inferno the first line is uh, half midway in the journey of our life, I came to myself in a dark wood for the straight way was lost. And apparently midway through the biblical average lifespan of 70 is 35 years. So when he turned 35, Dante went to hell and wrote a poem about it. We guess. I am I am surprised that we are talking about 70 year lifespans in the in the the 13th century yeah. like that's that doesn't seem super likely I think to me a lot of, I guess, what like, do I know yeah I think a lot of unfortunate infant mortality like brought the average down because people didn't oh, sure. know about clean water and stuff dang dang babies um, ruining everything typical it wasn't typical baby. until uh, Giovanni Boccaccio uh, who wrote the first formal biography in, of Dante in 1348 that we started calling it the divine comedy um, what do we call it before that? Just the commedia? Yeah, just the commedia. And then, um, which it's not funny, haha. It just means <laughs> sometimes it, it is. comes from the classical Greek for village revel. And it means that it has a happy ending. And in this case, happy meaning that like there is order to the universe and you start from a low place and then God fixes it <laughs> or something. If you had to pick what you thought your favorite comedy if you if you had to pick a divine comedy would it be like seinfeld that's your divine comedy it's like this comedy is just divine yeah i can't remember the i mean it's been a long time since i've seen zoolander so maybe it's zoolander interesting interesting interesting. i'm just trying to remember the last comedy movie i was like yo this movie is good this movie is funny yeah like a funny movie When's the last time I saw a funny movie? Like an explicit, like, this This movie is here to make you laugh. I mean, Bridesmaids is funny. Bridesmaids is pretty funny. I, I mean, Hot I Tub Time Machine was many. not funny. Hot Tub Time, it was definitely Hot Tub Time Machine. Okay. And they've done two of those, so they have one more. <laughs> they have the Paradiso of the Hot Tub Time Machine trilogy that they still need to do. Sure. Maybe it's the Hangover movies. Can we do mm. a podcast that's that compares the Hangover movies to the divine comedy yeah i think that's good we're gonna that sounds that's what this show is now um (laughs) Um, but yeah but but so what i was what i was saying before is that dante is really explicitly tying himself into this literary uh, tradition that starts with homer more or less there are a lot of homeric characters in here even though we don't explicitly spend time with a lot of them sure and then moves up through Virgil, who was himself kind of a, a channeling Homer when he did the Aeneid in particular, which we can talk about as much or as little as you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there is there's a section we could we could talk about it when it when it comes up, but there are there's a section where Dante is very <sighs> explicitly oh my God, tying him tying himself into this tradition. So let's good. say it's so good I my note just says ha ha fan fiction. <laughs> 
Um, so real quick, we should like get into it soon. We let's quickly talk about a little bit of the history of the poem, and then I think we will find. I think that we're gonna revisit Dante's biography as we go because he's clearly in the poem. Yeah, I think um, we were expecting to to use this first episode to do set up and then just be reading the book the rest of the time, like we did with with Homer time. But I think we are gonna end up spreading author and context stuff throughout many of our episodes, much like the Divine Comedy spreads <laughs> context and allegory throughout itself. That's true. Um, for We will find a way to post the schedule somewhere. So today we're going to be talking about, obviously we've been talking about Dante and the poem and the translators, and then we're going to do seven cantos. And then we are going to probably spend four episodes on the Inferno, three episodes on Purgatorio, and then four more episodes on the Paradiso with like... Most of the time, we're doing 11 cantos at a time, and sometimes we're doing a little fewer. So today, we're going to wrap up with canto seven. Yeah. Um, the poem... So we're going to be a little over halfway through hell. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like it well, moves no. quite, a, quite a clip. Today? Not halfway. Yeah. There's right. like 33 cantos in hell. No, but I mean, as as far as the circles. Oh, and far as the circles, circles. Yeah, I'm just talking about the seven oh, circles. Sure, sure, sure. We're we're gonna end. We end up what in like five? Yes, I think that's like right. we've just gotten into five. So, um, the poem was started around 1308 while Dante was in exile from his native Florence, which did not rescind his exile until 2008. Pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> that's 700 years, people. <laughs> Like, what prompted that? What prompted that that didn't, over 700 years, people weren't like, oh, are we going to let Dante back in? Uh, no. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> he had to leave because there was a fight about the Pope, and we'll talk more about that, I guess, later. Um, God. <laughs> he wrote it while he was exiled in around 1308. It was completed the year before he died in 1320. Um, it... He wrote it in Italian, which is like at the time not a thing that people wrote in in terms of like publishing anything. It's a, an amalgamation of regional Tuscan, Latin, and like whatever else he kind of wanted. Was that the is that the publishing language or is that what Dante wrote? That's in? what Dante wrote in. Okay, um, okay which okay. was which is an innovation for for works of any import, um, similar to how like you look at Renaissance England as like, oh, we we write things that mean something that are not in church Latin now. Um, we have never seen like the original autograph version, like the thing he hand wrote, but there was the first printed edition in 1472. Um, and then the English-speaking world got into it with William Blake in the 19th century. And then the all... first printed edition happened in 1472? I think so. It wasn't, when was the Gutenberg thing happening? No, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, so I guess it was all, so, so we have no handwritten copies, right? I, I don't know if, I think we do, but we don't have Dante's handwritten, like, we. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to make the distinction between, I guess, printing press stuff and, like, the first known extant oh. copy of, of what the work oh, is. Oh, no, so, yeah, Mr. Boccaccio, who I mentioned earlier, was, like, a big fan of Dante and was already writing commentary on it within, like, ten years of it being around. Uh, yeah, right, like, I, I know I know there was scholarship about it. I'm just, I, I want, I'm curious what the... Were people reading it there, in their coffee, on their, well, you know, no, their coffee I mean, shops? Well, no, I mean, like, there have got to be source texts for whatever people yes. are, are, are translating, right? Like, like, 
what are what different editions of this are people cobbling together to make what they think is the Ooh. definitive version? I don't know. That's an interesting point. We'll um, find out in these notes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, there's a lot of notes. There are We've, a lot of notes. I've mentioned it a couple times, and I feel like I still haven't really conveyed how many notes there are. Yes. And some of them... I think it's the, I think it's the New Yorker thing that says... By my count, the notes are three times as long as the work itself. <laughs> yeah, and it's it. What's fun is like I've been kind of cherry picking them. In you know, I I read a canto and just kind of like skim through the notes until I find something that seems really like meaty or interesting. Um, sometimes it just feels like it's a it is Professor Hollander being like, here's what's interesting about this poetic device, and sometimes yeah. it's here's a dude Dante knew and hated. And let's talk about <laughs> here's, it. Here's here's the specific pope that he is canceling <laughs> with this with this line of this poem that he did. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm I don't know how to read it yet. Sure. So yeah. So what I did, I, I read yeah. these. I read these seven, and I when there was a particular line where I really was like, oh, I'm I'm lost on this, or oh, this is interesting, and I saw the little arrow. I would tap it and I'd read the footnote and sometimes it would be interesting and sometimes it would be confusing. I don't know, like a, like a, like a graduate class on ephemera. (laughs) That's it is the, the, the notes are very interested to engage with the scholarship, which is like interesting, but can distract you while you're like trying to just digest what Dante wrote. Right, like if if you're just looking for footnotes to explain, like here is the specific biblical reference that it's making, it's actually not always helpful about that yeah. because as somebody who taught this for like 40 years, I, I don't know that Hollander can necessarily put himself or it, that he's particularly interested in putting himself in the shoes of a new reader. I think the Wilson Odyssey is really friendly to new readers or people who read an older translation and sort of bounced off it. I think Hollander, and and, th- and this is kind of appropriate for the text itself because it's so laden with, with allegory and reference. To, yeah. 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 That he is always interfacing, not just with the source text and the stuff that the source text is referencing, but also with other scholarship about the source text, like it, to, to, to read the New Yorker piece. He apparently cites, papers done by his own students in these notes sometimes mm-hmm. which is which is interesting and, and useful because i you know the the monkey typewriter thing like occasionally a graduate student has to have an original insight yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point but it but it seems like a it's a strange thing to do in the in the footnotes of this of this like mass market translation that you're doing you know yeah it's it's wild because also Dante presumes that any I would think presumes that anyone reading this has an understanding of the Bible that which I don't have in the same way that probably Dante expects that is like it is a text that is historical and and I'm borrowing this from the Hollander actually it is a text that is historical it is a text that is allegorical it has moral importance and it is anagogical, which is a word I just learned for this podcast, which means that it is like <laughs> it is uh, spiritual and concerned with like ascent to heaven, perhaps. So like if you are dealing with the Bible in the way that Dante is like, you can get all of those levels. And me, I'm just trying to find out what happened to this dude when he walked through hell. So like 
that is a thing that both the original poem is doing and the book we are literally holding is doing with yeah. the scholarship. So that it's and it and it's it's, it's fun. It is, it's just challenging. Yeah, and and it's very different from reading the Odyssey because when you know, like the so the the great Homeric question, like <laughs> did a guy write it? Did a group of people write it? Was it like how did it come down to us from oral tradition to literary trans, tra- tradition? You can't. It is almost impossible to ascribe any sort of intent oh, to yeah. stuff like word choice and repetition. It's kind of, you you kind of get a little hand wavy with it, right? Because on, on on one hand, like, oh, Eumaeus, you're in the second person. Like, what does that mean? But on the other hand, you know, at one part of this poem, you seem like you're in the Bronze Age, and then this <laughs> other part, you seem like you're in the Iron Age. Eh, it's probably just like it's, eh, it's just it's what worked. Yeah. We never wrote but in the, this it's like because bands like that we don't write the lyrics down or they're like they don't write anything down other than the chord changes and they're they just play it until it's good. <laughs> That's kind of what the we, the poem was. Whereas with with this, it's you know it, it is a guy living at a point in time. We have access to a ton of context yep. for yep. what he would have known about. Even though the, the, you know some criticism of this is like we. There's a whole school of thought that is trying to view this through Dante's lens, and you don't know what his you don't know him. That's you know? true. No, <laughs> like, that's a good point. You you're not his dad. You don't know what his what his life was like. But you can you can spend a lot more time chewing on. Okay, what did this one guy with the one life that he lived lived mean when he chose this word in this passage? Yes, and it's. I don't I don't necessarily have the the depth of of reference to really appreciate that all the time but it's just it's interesting how it how it makes this translation and these footnotes different from the Odyssey yeah. which is our main touchstone like going so into this. So I'll just say what my strategy was because I have the physical book I was reading them I was literally for one of the first times in my life I don't do this very often I was just like writing on the pages when I thought stuff was interesting um and then kind of just browsing the footnotes afterwards. So I wasn't like, and there's nothing in the text that tells me what has a footnote or not. So sure. I'm just like reading this poetry and then hoping to to remember important stuff afterwards. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think this, this ebook version makes really good use of the format. Sure, sure. I think what I'm going to try to do for next time, and it's going to require a little bit more advanced prep. I just, I got into a into a groove with Homer time where I knew I could read it a couple hours beforehand and be fine. Yeah. Going yeah, into yeah, the yeah. Show this might be more time. Yeah. Like I, I think what I want to try and do is read it like for the next episode, read it all the way through without hitting the footnotes at all. Yep. And then read it a second time hitting every footnote. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a better sense of how often I need to dip into the footnotes, but we talked about this a little bit with Infinite Jest, I think, to, to constantly be diving into footnotes and then switching back. It is a kind of context switching that breaks up the flow of, of both things. Which in Infinite Jest is, seems purposeful, and right. here Dante did not provide his own footnotes. No, Dante was not like, listen, I know that I'm being inscrutable, but I've got a guy. <laughs> He's going to explain it. It's going to be great. Well, let's let's meet Dante, Andrew. Let's get yeah, in there. Mid, midway in the journey of this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, he just like is in the afterlife. It's kind of unclear how he got 
He says, how I came there, I cannot really tell. I was so full of sleep when I forsook the one true way. Um, yeah, so is he asleep? Is he dead? It's not It's not clear. And you, I think the, the, the dark wood supposedly is sin, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is like, if it sounds like an allegory for your relationship to Christ, it probably is. <laughs> um, it is it it is explicit. I think that he is not dead, um, and I've done I've like Googled is Dante dead in the Inferno <laughs> a couple times to be sure, um, and no, it seems like he is just here. He's surprised by it, um, and he's not. He's a little scared by what's happening. Um, and he sees I mean, some. Why wouldn't you be? He yeah. sees some animals, which apparently stand for sins. But he sees a leopard and a lion and a she wolf. Um, a she wolf who all hide in bones seemed charged with all the appetites that have made many live in wretchedness. So weighed da- so weighed my spirits down with terror, which welled up at the sight of her that I lost hope of making the ascent. So he is like supposed to walk up this mountain or something. And he can't do it because he got scared by these beasts. Mm-hmm. And then his friend Virgil shows up. I think one of the footnotes talks about wolves being associated with like gluttony or something. Yeah, like some specific yeah. sin in, in 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 the book. Like it's it's they each stand for one. Yeah. yeah, they each stand for one. And kind of got a, like a Peter and the wolf vibe going, <laughs> where like the the wolf represents gluttony. <laughs> Andrew, I didn't know when I started reading the Inferno that the Virgil, I knew Virgil was the guide. Uh-huh. I didn't know that it was the same Virgil that wrote the You just thought it was a Virgil? I thought it was just what? a dude named Virgil. No, it's Virgil. It's the guy. I was very surprised to learn that it was the guy who wrote the he is, Iliad. He is the guy. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to keep pulling us out of the out of the no you're good show but i, d- I did read the uh Aeneid a couple times in school as well and it's kind of a it's it's kind of a missing link in our like podcast yeah, yeah. thing like we we are jumping from homer to virgil or to uh dante but virgil is a, is an important connective tissue between the two of them um so the Aeneid is the thing that he is best known for and it's interesting because I don't know, like like the Divine Comedy is all about, you know, it's all about Christianity. It's about, it's about heaven. It's about, you know, all the all the spaces in between. The Aeneid was at least partially like a, a political document mm. that was intended to tie the then new Augustan regime, like the brand new empire. Which I think was still was still like nominally called the Roman Republic in 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 that time, but it was not anymore. Yes, um, tying that back to the time of this guy Aeneas, and then through that time, you know, taking it all oh, the way back sh- to, back it's to prop- Troy. So and it's like, like propaganda. It is a, it is a little bit, and I know there there is a lot of, of 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 debate about this, but yeah, it is like he read Virgil read books of the Aeneid to Augustus Whoa. and allegedly allegedly though this is apocryphal <laughs> allegedly when he read when he read like book six or something it made Octavia faint oh god! so it was so moving um so Virgil in the in the Inferno says I was born sub Julio which I guess means like under Julius Caesar 
Um, yeah, I think that I think that then of course there's a footnote about yep. it, but I my read of that is that he, he was born during the time of Julius Caesar. Yes, uh, and lived at Rome under good Augustus in an age of false and lying gods. He says. Um, <laughs> so he's like allowed to be here because he's such a good poet. We'll talk a little bit more about that. My um, goodness gracious! And he says like I'm gonna be your guide, um, and then I'm gonna pass you off to a lady. I uh, can't tell you much more about that just yet, but we're going to go through hell and you're going to hear the despairing cries and see those ancient souls in pain as they bewail their second death. Bewail their second death, Andrew. Dang. 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 <laughs> Dang, dude. Um, and he uh, he's like, all right, cool. Let's let's go, I guess. <laughs> I get this sounds fun. I, like I'm I'm here, you're here. Let's just do let's it, I just guess. Let's do it. Um and then we're in Canto 2 where Dante opens up with like Virgil, I don't know about this. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> I don't know if I can go through with this. Um and Dante what is Virgil reply to him? He just calls him a scaredy cat basically. Yeah, essentially. Uh, your spirit is assailed by cowardice. Um and goes on to like Tell him a little bit more about how a bunch of ladies in heaven are sad about Dante, which mm-hmm. seems, again, I think Dante has a pretty high opinion of himself. I think he does, which we're going to get to very soon. <laughs> in- Inferno 2 has, and then this is, ag- again, tying him back to this. You know how everybody's trying to write the great American novel? I think everybody yeah. for centuries and centuries was like, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the the Iliad or the Odyssey again. Like, yes. That's that's me. I'm oh, the guy sure. who's gonna do it. But um the 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 third like triplet of lines in an Inferno two is uh the invocation of the muse, oh, which right. so which so often opens Homeric poems and also opened the the Aeneid. O muses, O lofty genius, aid me now. O memory that set down what I saw, here shall your worth be shown. And that's not him speaking in character. That is him speaking essentially to both that the is muses him, and the reader. Yeah, That's him sort of looking at the camera and being like, how, I don't know how I got myself in this situation, but O muses, O lofty genius, aid me now. <laughs> Help me tell you all about what is what is about to happen to me. Yes, and then he goes on and says, I was a big coward, and Virgil said that I was... A wuss um and then virgil says uh yo beatrice that lady you love like specifically told me that i need to come help you um, mm-hmm. or that i should be allowed to come help you mm-hmm. um and like lucy is i don't know who lucy is but lucy's there um <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's not a party unless lucy's there <laughs> lucy the enemy of every cruelty arose and came to where i sat at venerable rachel's side so rachel is there um Dang, really yeah and mm-hmm. is like beatrice you need to go don't you hear your boyfriend crying um go talk to virgil holler at your boy and we will like teach him about the afterlife i don't really know like Aside from, I guess, he fell away from the one true way and is maybe living a life of sin. I'm not quite sure what was really breaking her heart. But from what I've read a little bit about the Paradiso, anybody who is in like the good part of the afterlife shouldn't ever really feel sad anymore. So, Because well, of what I got to feel sad about. Precisely. Um, and they specifically don't feel bad about anybody who's in hell and she says that to virgil straight out (laughs) she's like i don't care about you um i'm here to save my boy 
that's just that kind of sucks. It does, and that's it to me because because so much of so much of my personal read on Christianity is that it is it is trying to be a religion of of empathy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to to present a message of well, like they got theirs. <laughs> Hollander, so it's fine. Like that kind of stuff. It does, and we are like, we're pre Martin Luther. So if you want to think about like the Protestant Reformation, what that means for all you Protestant Reformation nerds out there, go for that. Um, Luther heads, you Luther, <laughs> Luther heads. Um, Hollander, yeah, I nail, think they nail your ninety nine negative reviews to our <laughs> podcast on iTunes. <laughs> Hollander, I think he talks about it in the in the opening note. I think he one of the big things to consider is the paradox of perhaps the knowledge that this is a just God for whom these punishments are just and like the actual sympathy and pity that Dante does feel for people he encounters in the Inferno in particular. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a big break in scholarship actually is, is, is apparently uh, this is again, I think, from the New Yorker piece. I think anything I copied and pasted must have been from the New Yorker piece because it contains every possible combination yep. of words that's ever been written about this. Um, Dante critics uh, divide into two basic camps. One is the romantics who feel they can read the comedy by their own lights without taking account of its allegory. Um, opposing the romantics are the scholars who try to see Dante's world as he did and who therefore make their decisions about the poem in conformity with the allegory, Robert Hollander being a prime example. So Mm. for people who are inclined to feel sorry for the folks who are in these circles of hell that we're going to run into, they are apparently in the romantic camp. Okay. And I, and I think I am, I think I am in that camp myself. Like if, if you are, if you're not supposed to feel a complicated way about these people, then like, what are they? Why would you? What go? are they doing? Like, yeah. I I don't like the idea that this is some kind of like boomer epic <laughs> where it's like, well, I got mine, so. I, but so. that's interesting because Hollander does say he's like, if if Dante actually felt that way about those people himself, he would just start the the whole comedy in purg in the Purgatorio. Like, he wouldn't need to write right. the Inferno. Um, I don't think it's an interesting though. I mean, the, the Inferno also is, is I think the book that does so much of the heavy lifting with, with incorporating him into this pantheon of amazing epic writers. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> but there's still, but there's still a lot of, uh, is, is Kent is Canto three, which is the, which is the one where we, uh, get into the second circle, like the lust circle. I don't want to skip the first circle. That's circle five. That's Canto five. When we get into oh. the, the, abo- the, Minos's abode of pain is Canto five. What's the, um, what's the circle with people just like floating around and like loving each other and being sad. That's, ca- that's Canto five. That's Francesca okay, right. and her sad story of being yes, in love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you can't if you can't summon some pity for for Francesca, whose only transgression appears to be feeling something for someone else. At least in the text, yes. Maybe, At least you know, in the text. Knows? Like I don't know, again, I don't know her life. I don't know what she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't put myself in the in the shoes of someone living in 1300. But if you're trying to get me to empathize with someone, I don't know what more you could do than Dante does here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, let's start with Inferno three though, because this is where we get some epic 
um, oft-quoted what I would consider Slipknot lyrics to start. Through me the way to the city of woe. Through me the way to everlasting pain. Pain. Through me the way among the lost. Among the lost. Justice moved my maker on high. Divine power made me wisdom supreme and primal love. Before me, nothing was but things eternal, and eternal I endure. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. (laughs) Yeah, that's just a Slipknot song written in 1300. (laughs) And it is in, in in what I am reading, it's It's in in like small caps. It's it's in all caps. It's pretty great. Like, hey, I know why you came to read this book. It's this (laughs) passage. And they so they go through the vestibule to hell, and Virgil's like, "You're gonna see some sinners." Um, and he starts to hear just sounds of crying. He hears slapping hands, which was an interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> um, not sure who's slapping whom. What's the sound of one hand slapping? Um, and the first people we meet are like people who never picked a side, including the side of God. <laughs> Uh, people who lived without disgrace yet without praise they are not rebellious but they are also not faithful um and they all it's like this big crowd of dummies who follow like a banner with nothing on it and they They have no hope of death and their blind life is so abject that they are envious of every other lot the world does not permit report of them mercy and justice hold them in contempt let us not speak of them look and pass by and w- so it's a, a circle of centrists, basically. Yes, coward- <laughs> cowardly centrists, including a pope, <laughs> possibly Pope Celestine V, who abdicated the papacy after only four months and ushered in an era of uncertainty, or Pope Bonif- Boniface something who's... I think you can call him Pope Boniface. Pope Boniface, uh, the, whatever <laughs> the number is, um, who I think like was part of the exile group that like kicked Dante out of Florence. I'm not sure. Um, It's interesting that, that, you know, Dante was exiled during this period. And so there, there is this whole, and, and when you get into the, the circle of hell, that's about greed. Oh yeah. 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 You specifically meet a bunch of clerics and popes and they're not all named, but Robert Hollander is like, this, (laughs) these are the popes that I think he was talking about. Yeah. In, in, in this canto, it's just, uh, I saw and knew the shade of him who through cowardice made the great refusal. And I just wrote on the side of it, who, because I just want to know <laughs> who is in Dante's literal burn book right here. Name names, know? Dante. Come on. Um, and then we get to cross uh, Asheron, the river, um, guarded by Karen, the evil gondola driver, um, who is going to take a bunch of people, not those undecided folks, but a bunch of other dead people into hell. Um, and Dante is not allowed to cross there. He has to cross somewhere else, I suppose. Um, anywhere else? Anything else in this canto that we need to hit? This he 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 just keeps fainting. He, he does keeps fainting throughout. Yeah, he he's just so overwhelmed. He passes out. Like, Mamma mia! <laughs> <laughs> um, and they go they go to like a different spot, and Virgil's like, "This is where we're cr- where we'll cross," and then Dante passes out. Um, and then we get to the first circle of hell in Canto mm-hmm. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, where we are standing on the brink of a big abyss of suffering. It was full of vapor, so I guess people vape in hell. 
Um, of course they do. Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Every circle of hell has a big billboard on it that's like sponsored by Jewel. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and we see like a bunch of people and Virgil is like, these are people with merit, but that's not enough for they were unbaptized. So these are people from before Jesus was invented, as you said. Um, and they live here in limbo, which I thought was what Purgatorio was, but I guess I'll find Apparently out later. Purgatorio and limbo are different. Um, and so like, but yeah, the, so, so it's important to note about the circles of hell. They get more hellish as you go. Yes, in. truth, truth. Um, and the thing about this poem is I think like, I don't know, I don't go to too much like fire and brimstone preaching, but to, it is largely my understanding that like a lot of the imagery that we ascribe to that type of theology is certainly from Dante in some places. Like it's not like it was in the Bible. It's just sure. things that Dante made up, I guess. Um, Dante does ask Virgil, like, yo, has anyone, was anyone ever good enough to, like, get out of here? And Virgil's like, yeah, some people from the Bible yeah, that like, you might know. A few people. <laughs> um, Adam and Abel and Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and Rachel, a lady. Thank, thank you. Um, it just, it, I mean, affirmative action, whatever, is ruining heaven. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it just seems like it seems really unfair to judge people where they don't know the rules of the game. That's true. Know? That's true. It seems it seems it seems not fair. Yes. It seems like you should be able to you should either be able to map somebody's pagan actions to the morals of Christianity and come up with some kind of point system where you know, like when you transfer colleges and you can like carry yeah, the over credit, certain credits. Yeah, the credit <laughs> hours aren't exactly the same. Like you might but, have to take like an extra like you know audit a class just to prove that you care. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But I feel like there's there should be a chance. There should be like a sort of one hundred and one like Christianity class where you can. <laughs> You get your Christianity GED and just get into heaven. <laughs> there are a couple there. I believe there are some um, like Islamic writers mentioned in one of these passages also, which I think Hollander calls out as kind of notable given the time period um, in Italy. Uh, but yeah, they, they like, they're cool people, but they're not right with Christ, so they don't get to go. Um, and then, Andrew, we're in Egg. the darkness of the abyss, mm, and Dante beholds a blaze of light and he someone lighten up their jewel <laughs> it's not it's not well maybe they lighten up their jewel but it is definitely a bunch of poets um Jesus. and so we see homer <laughs> the sovereign poet followed by horace followed by ovid and then lucan and of course he is homer sovereign poet <laughs> Next comes Horace, the satirist. Ovid is third. The last is Lucan. Since each is joined to me in the name, the one voice uttered, they do me honor, and in doing so, do well. There I saw assembled well, the on. fair that was, school. That was Virgil speaking. Now continue speaking as Dante. There I saw assembled the fair school of the Lord of loftiest songs, soaring like an eagle far above the rest. After they conversed a while, they turned to me with signs of greeting, and my master, that would be Virgil, smiled at this. And then they showed me greater honor still, 
for they made me one of their company, so that I became the sixth amidst such wisdom. I am Dante, the sixth greatest poet that has ever lived <laughs> since God was invented. And like maybe I'm even better than the poets that already exist. And he- for a review of the various sorts of discomfort among the commentators as- occasioned by Dante's promotion of his own poetic career in this verse, see Mazzioni, Mats, 1965.1, PP 147-54. This is Hollander, obviously. It is clear that Dante is putting himself in a very good company on the basis of very little accomplishment. <laughs> The open- it was a dangerous gesture for him to make. It is redeemed by his genius. So, man, go big or go home, Dante, I guess. The, it, the beginning of the whole introduction to this tome by Hollander. What is a great book? <laughs> it is probably impossible to define the concept analytically to anyone's satisfaction, but it may be described probably. pragmatically, a work that is loved <laughs> over time by millions or more or less readers <laughs> and by thousands of scholars. Dante... By the time he was writing the fourth canto of Inferno, had already decided he was writing such a book. The audacity of this bitch. And I hate to cuss on our podcast, <laughs> but there's no other way yep. to express the idea that I have. Yeah, I wrote just upon ha- reading this. I just wrote haha Mary Sue in the margins and then I yeah, I wrote haha fanfiction. So I I'm always sometimes you tell me, oh, when you read this, you're going to see a thing. And I always know I'm going to see the thing because our brains are on this weird wavelength. And then Dante does the thing. He goes, then we went onward to the light. Speaking of things that are here best unset. You can't even tell us. Cause it, oh, your cool poets club. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't understand. Whoa, you're too stupid you to understand what the six good poets are saying. <laughs> Jesus. So then the the cool poet Jeez society Louise. the dead the dead poet society um walks along this limbo and they see a bunch of characters that we know from history. We see Electra, we see Brutus, we see Socrates and Plato and Ptolemy and Hippocrates and all sorts of people. He can't talk about them because he was too busy talking to his new poet friends. My God. Uh, and then they leave him with Virgil and he walks on to the next canto. Cool job, everyone. Then we get... Cool job, everyone. You did a great... You did great. What a wonderful guy. Um, then we get to you this... You know that music okay, that... You know, in the car- you know in the cartoon Doug? Yeah. Every time Judy, his like, beatnik <laughs> sister, appeared, it played that music... That was like so cool. I think that whenever Dante and all the cool poets hang out, it plays that music that yes. it played for Judy from <laughs> Doug. That show had a lot of like every time Roger Klotz walked on screen, it was like guitar again. Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, it's pretty good. We learned the a lot. Bongos represent Judy. <laughs> Inferno to number five. Um, we get to the second circle, which you were talking about earlier, Andrew. A little bit of Dante in my. Um, oh, sorry. Yes. So. Minos is guarding it. Um, it's his abode of pain. For this is Minos the the Minotaur, the Minotaur boy. yeah, who is the result of lust, I believe. So and again, I think this is this is all name dropping, yeah. classical name yeah. dropping from Dante. Um, and it's like really windy. It's really angry wind down here in the second circle that is like literally whipping people. Um, and Dante's like, "Yo, who are all these people that are getting whipped by the wind?" And Virgil's like, let me show you a bunch of ladies who slept with people. 
like Helen and Cleopatra. And this is where we meet Francesca. This right? is where we meet. So tell me about Francesca, Andrew. This is like that's the focus of the of the whole canto. I think is Francesca's whole deal. So she mar- she married this guy um, Giovanni. Yeah, who was not. It was a marriage of of like political expediency, right? Yes, yes. Um, but then fell in love with his brother, this guy named Paolo. Yep. And then they had an affair. Yes, correct. And having an affair is the worst thing you could do. It lands you in the second circle of hell. Truth. Um, she, that's the deal. That's the deal. And she doesn't like say all of those names. I think she she doesn't even say Paolo's name. I don't think. Um, no, it's all it all is picked up by scholars and footnotes and whatever, whatever. But yeah, you you get explicitly you get Dido, um, who I don't even think was. I mean, she she is mainly a fictional creation by Virgil. Like there mm-hmm. there is not a lot of of evidence that this real person ever even even lived. But you get Dido, you get Cleopatra, you get Helen of Troy, like every. Every woman who allegedly ever started a war, even though it was always the men, always. Yes, that's true. Um, and she says, love which absolves no one beloved from loving seized me so strongly with his charm that, as you see, it has not left me yet. So she is consigned to the second circle of hell in this like terrible windstorm because she loved so hard that she couldn't pass it up. Apparently, they like decided to get their affair going while they were reading about Lancelot and Guinevere, which is also uh, appropriate for That's affairs. an interesting thread of myth and literature to like pull into this thing that is it so far exclusively pulling from like Greek and Roman yeah. sources. Yeah. Um, so grab this Arthurian thing. I think we need to... How are we going to get the Arthurian. How are we going to hit the Arthurian stuff? I feel like we need to hit it. We do. There's a couple books that I know we could maybe dive into, but I don't know if they are long reads or if they are just long episodes, but um, we... Speaking of long episodes... Oh boy, we're still going here. We gotta keep rolling. Um, Dante is so moved by his pity for all these lovely ladies who love that he passes out again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Just imagine him getting big, like, anime nosebleeds and just, like, <laughs> passing out on the floor. Um, in one of the footnotes for Canto Five is where I saw that um, you mentioned this earlier, Andrew. Dante, one of the reasons that Virgil is his guide and not Homer, per se, is there was not a, like, contemporaneous translation of Homer during Dante's lifetime. So what he knew... Huh. He uh, he had not read Homer. He had like heard about Homer kind of through his studies of Virgil. Read about him on the Homer wiki. Yes, correct. Um, so we get into Canto Six, which is like people being punished for gluttony. Um, we meet Cerberus, who is not who is like a big worm or something with like three who's mouths. A, who's a who's a big dog but has human qualities. Like he has a, he has a beard. He has beards. I feel like the description, at, like the the worm description, is not meant to be like literally oh, wormy. Oh, he's just beastly. Yeah. Um, okay, let me just set the stage for the for the listeners. Cerberus, please do. Cerberus, fierce and monstrous beast, barks from three gullets like a dog over the people underneath that muck. This is like the muck that is being caused by all the dirt rain coming from the hell sky. 
Um, mm-hmm. His eyes are red, his beard are greasy black, his belly swollen with his taloned hands, he claws the spirits, flays and quarters them. The rain makes them howl like dogs. The unholy wretches often turn their bodies, making of one side a shield for the other, like kind of, kind of like penguins. When Cerberus, that huge worm, <laughs> noticed us, he opened his jaws and showed his fangs. There was no part of him he held in check. So, so Dante the DM, you're Virgil, Andrew. Dante the Uh DM says, you've encountered a huge worm dog named Cerberus. He has three Mm -hmm. mouths, and he's standing on a bunch of dirt. What do you do? I throw dirt in his mouth (laughs) to distract him. Virgil just shoves dirt in this demon's mouth. Wait, hold on. I got it. Is this a D20? Like, what am I rolling? No, you automatically succeed. You took 20 on shoving dirt into his mouth. All right, that's a 19 plus 3 for dexterity. Yeah, you beat Cerberus' mouth armor class, and the dirt goes in, and he can't talk anymore. All right. Um, So now they're in this circle. This is where we're in the third circle now for gluttons. Mm -hmm. We meet a dude named Chaco, who no one remembers. (laughs) It's a word that means hog, (laughs) so it's appropriate for the third circle. Good. He's trying to convince... Dante to remember him um and I was expecting the gluttony circle to be a lot more about you know literal food gluttony but the all the stuff that Chaco's talking about is actually the like the war that Dante fought in that was about whether or not the Pope or the Holy Roman Emperor was going to be in charge and then the people who won started fighting between themselves this is like after the battle of Campoldino that I learned about and um, the, it is like, it's not just food gluttony. It's like greed. It's like political lust or jealousy. See, that, see, or that's something. interesting. And I, and I feel like there's a lot of overlap betwixt certain of the seven sins that yeah, we are dealing yeah. with in this, in this. And I am that that they would make gluttony basically be greed and then also in the very next circle of hell there's different greed, greed is <laughs> yeah. I, guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess there's like a when oh i'm thinking the, in shakespeare in julius caesar he refers to um who's one of the bad guys with brutus uh cassius he has like a lean and hungry look or something like hungry is used in like a political appetite or so hungry like the wolf mm. sort of yeah um and i think that's some of what's going on here of like there is an appetite for power that that is bad that is not good in the eyes of god because dante then asks virgil like hey when the great judgment comes like are these people gonna have it worse is it gonna get better and virgil just is like don't worry about it we gotta go (laughs) he's like it's all god's god has a plan um you'll be fine uh, and then we get to Canto Seven, so that's yeah, well, okay. Right? Canto Seven is that uh, greed? So we we get to the greed circle, and this is greed. In this is is mostly about money, it, almost explicitly. It's guarded by Plutus, who is the god of wealth, who says "Pape Satan, Pape Satan, Alepi," which no one knows what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hollander says the only other person who knows what it means is Virgil, like in him, all of history. I mean, I've, I've got to imagine that Plutus and like plutocracy come yep. from the same roots. Yep. That we're just talking about talking mostly about money, and this is where um, this is where Virgil chooses to 
concentrate his his criticism of clerics and oh yeah 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 go ahead um their voices howl this clear enough just as they reach the twin points on the circle where opposing sins divide them there were clerics who have no lid of hair upon their heads and popes and cardinals in whom avarice achieves its excess Mm. um and i master who again virgil in such a crew as this i ought to recognize at least a few who were befouled with these offenses and he to me, you muster an empty thought. The undiscerning life that made them foul now makes them hard to recognize, which I love because it's like I am criticizing specific popes and clerics yes. in this section, but their greed. I don't know. Like it just makes them hard to recognize. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, all the gold that lies beneath the moon or ever did could never give a moment's rest to any of these wearied souls. So their greed in life translates to a, an eternal dissatisfaction in death. Now, and this is interesting. Um, it's not just people who are greedy hoarders and misers. They're actually, everybody has like a weight around their chest and they are like going in these half circles, almost like jousting with each other. And half of them are the people saying, why do you hoard? And the other half are people saying, why do you squander? So you do, you have both the avaricious folks and like the people who can't save a dime who just like amass money and just spend it on whatever the heck they want and like don't build anything with it. Tax and spend, baby. Yep. You know, cap and trade. No, that's not that's the a same. different thing. <laughs> um, and Virgil, yeah, Virgil just kind of like pops off on these folks for a little while and then talks about the, like the goddess or something fortune that space God lady. I don't know how she fits into the Christian theology. But she's probably a footnote that yeah, tells you more. She is like shifting all of this wealth between humanity, like making great empires rise and fall as everybody fights over the same nonsense. Um, yeah. Um, uh, he whose wisdom transcends all made the heavens and gave them guides so that all parts reflect on every part in equal distribution of the light. Just so he ordained for worldly splendors, a general minister and guide who shifts those worthless goods from time to time, from race to race, from one blood to another beyond the intervention, beyond the intervention of human wit. One people comes to rule another languishes in keeping with her judgment as a secret, as secret as a serpent hidden in the grass. So basically saying the like the power struggle, the struggle for for supremacy is it means nothing. It's sort of capricious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody's going to come up as somebody else comes down. And that's just going to be the way that it is, because we cannot. As a as a race, as a species just agree to a system where everybody has the stuff that they need. True. Yeah. <laughs> if and if you do figure that out, you don't have to hang out in the inferno is what Dante I guess is saying or learning in this in this canto. Um and then we get to the next circle which is like sort of a I was surprised that we're already in a new circle here. I had to like double Cuz it happens, yeah, it happens like halfway through a through a canto and then the next canto picks up. And and so far we have it's mostly been Canto per circle. New, new, new Canto, new circle. Yes. Um, all of a sudden, we are crossing the River Styx, or in what is called a, the swamp called Styx, and there are the swamp. angry people in the mud. 
Um, and I, this is Dante again, my gaze transfixed, could see people with angry faces in that bog, naked, their bodies smeared with mud. They struck each other with their hands, their heads, their chests and feet, and tore each other with their teeth. And this is wrath. People who are angry and mean all the time, our guests just have to live in mud and punch each other forever. This sounds like Twitter. Yeah, this is Twitter. You know? This is, this is real twi- Twitter. This is the Twitter circle. We're in the Twitter <laughs> circle. And then beneath the Twitter people, I guess, are all the Twitter lurkers because... Um, the eggs. Plun- all the eggs. Plunge all beneath the eggs. these waters, as your eyes will tell you, are souls whose size with bubbles make the water's surface seethe. Um, fixed in the slime, they say, we were sullen in the sweet air that in the sun rejoices, filled as we were with slothful fumes. Now we are sullen in black mire. Yeah, it's just Twitter <laughs> eggs. Just the eggs. Um, I mean, it's basically <laughs> what, what I like about these two circles back to back is that Dante takes like a sin like wrath or a sin like greed and finds like both sides of the coin, like people who are so mad about stuff that they just sulk and don't do anything about it. And people who get so wrathful that they hurt. And then like similarly, like there are people who just keep money from other people or they spend it all so that no one can have it. Uh, yeah, and, and and it's worth talking about just for for a second how quickly each of these circles very go quick. By. Like these these cantos are nowhere near as long as like a book in the Odyssey. Yep, very quick. And so so it's not a you you automatically assume usually guided by Virgil Virgil that there is. There's nothing that anybody can do. Like this is the this is the way that it is. Yes. And I will briefly describe it to you and then we will move on. Like there there is no maybe we will give you enough to feel sorry for a certain person, but there is there is no chance of of redemption for any of these any of these anybody. Yeah. Like even some circles you get individual names and individual people. Sometimes you just get a big mass of folks writhing in the swamp. <laughs> But the the <laughs> result is the same either way. Like you are, you are meeting people whose fates are set, and you are very much a tourist in their eternity. And that's a bummer. Yeah, it's a real bummer. I wonder. I I feel like there is a a worldview from the 1300s or the, like the 13th century that we just don't. We have so as you know, folks here in. 2019 America at, at least we hope have like kind of grown out of in terms of like you just you are who you are and that's it you're stuck in whatever stratification of life that you were born into and in a way this feels of a piece with that of like well you're a dirt person and you're gonna <laughs> die and you're gonna be a dirt person because God decided that you were a dirt person um, and there is not a like if you live in the in the hate swamp for long enough <laughs> you get to go to heaven like yeah because virgil is, i mean that's what that's what purgatorio is going to be about I, right like pur- purgatorio is the is that like we, if you do the right stuff you get to go is that the idea that's my understanding of, of purgatory is like you are you're close enough that you get to just go to this waiting room sure sure and you get to listen to like the smooth jazz <laughs> remixes of Beatles songs until somebody lets you into heaven. Yeah, this isn't even like nominally close to like our broken criminal justice system where theoretically you do the time and then you get to come out. Like, yeah, this just, is just like, nope, that's what you are. It 
bums me out so much, and I don't know how this is that's gonna close us. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much this show is going to give us an opportunity to talk about our own thoughts and beliefs. Who knows? Like as 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 you know, the, as regards the afterlife, but it does. It just seems it seems bad. <laughs> yeah, there is a definite it seems, tension. It seems bad to that you. This. Yeah. Well, you you to get to a place where there is truly no redemption. Yeah, that feels based wrong. on your based yeah. on your past actions. Like that's just that just feels. It feels counter to not not just the way that. I think of life on Earth, but it but it also feels counter to a lot of what happens in in the Bible. Like like mm. people are, they learn, they they grow. People are people are occasionally given an opportunity to to think a thing that they didn't think before, and to I don't know. It ju- it just it just makes me feel bad for there to be this interpretation that's like. Hey, you were playing a game the whole time. You didn't know the rules, but bad news, you lost and you're boned forever. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, it kinda, it's like it kind of sucks and it and it, and it goes it goes against the whole concept of being able to grow and change as a person yes. in a way that that makes me just just it just makes me bristle a little bit. Well, and so something I guess to keep an eye out for there I find then an inherent contradiction in the fact that Dante gets to just stroll around here. Like, I don't think we're going to ever Yeah, find- what's his deal? <laughs> and, like... Why did he get the press pass to hell? Like, like why is he down here? <laughs> Maybe we'll find out, but I don't know that we ever will because Dante just needed to hang out with his poet buds and he needed an excuse to say how good of a poet he was. So I don't God. really know, like, what... There's no, like... Virgil saying, "Well, I, this you're the tenth person I'm doing today. Like, this is not. This isn't like. Um, there's a C.S. Lewis either short story or poem called like the Great Divorce, which is similarly a dude gets like sort of an afterlife tour when maybe he just got hit on the head with a book, but like he does like get a little window into a different world that makes him feel things about the world he came from, and like." Maybe that's what's going to happen here, but I don't know why Dante gets that and no one else does. So I think it's just because he's such a good poet, boy. Like, he's so good that Homer is like, whoa, 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 we got Dante down Dante! here. Make room for Dante. Dante's in the house. My God. Well, welcome to hell, Andrew. We're here. We're in it now. <laughs> welcome. Here we are. And I'm just, I'm, we are... You and I, Craig, are hanging out. We're hanging out with Ira Glass. Yep. And with all the good podcast greats. What, do you, do you yes. have other... Who who else is here? Tell me about some of the other people who are here with us, just kind of acknowledging how good we are well, podcasts. Well, um, Sarah Koenig's there, of course. Sarah Koenig's here, just kind of quietly nodding and, and noting which payphones that we use. I think Mark Marin was here, but no one's seen him in a while. <laughs> Like no one's sure if he really belonged, so he's he's probably not further down. He's probably mm-hmm. just out there wandering around. Yeah, I swear to God that Travis McElroy nodded at me, just in in quiet acknowledgement of my greatness. I looked 
I, like he had, and it's not because he wanted to be anywhere else. He just like had prior engagements that he had signed up for, so he had to leave. Yeah, I didn't see him. I heard a lot of noises that were very like uh, evocative and interesting and illuminated scientific concepts. So I think Jadam Boomrod is down here also. Okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Sh- well, Terry Gross, obviously. I mean, the, the Homer is to to poetry as Terry Gross is to radio podcast she's down I here i think i think terry gross is your is your guide to oh. podcast hell <laughs> okay i think the show's over i think we have welcome to, to welcome to hell i'm terry gross <laughs> <laughs> I got turned around and lost, and now you have to guide me through the rest of hell. Right, Andrew, so I'm the, stuck. in our rela- in our relationship. Who's the Dante and who's the Virgil? Are is, you that's, kidding? That's important. Well, are you? You're the, the Virgil, Virgil. You're the Virgil of hand-me-down computers and um, other things that you had. So before we're, I we're had. each Virgils in different ways. Yeah, I think saying. we swap hats as, as I think necessary. That's just, you just mean nobody wants to be the Dante. <laughs> no, if you look around the table and you don't see a Dante, <laughs> you are the Dante. Um, so we are here to talk about cantos 8 through 16 of the Inferno, which is nine cantos. I think we'll have two more sections of nine in the Inferno. And then we're going to do nine, like three episodes of 11 in the Paradiso, or no, in the Purgatorio, and then we'll do the reverse 9997 in the Paradiso. That's our current Yeah, because it sounds like the Paradiso is just going to be a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know what to expect because... Yeah, because people seem to be like, is this is this like a book still? <laughs> like, what is going on in this one? Um, so do you remember what happened last time we were in, in hell together? My, the, like, I'll, I'll hand off to you. Sure. Um, in the middle of his life, Dante got lost and now he's in hell. Yeah. Dante wakes <laughs> and, up. Okay. Go ahead. And the poet Virgil is guiding him through the different circles of hell, each of which focuses on a specific not even a kind of punishment, but just like a kind of sin to punish. Yes, I, I was surprised to learn as we even started our journey that different circles have like multiple punishments for different versions of the same sin. So like um, a little while in, we saw like people who are very greedy and miserly paired up with people who are like squanderers who don't know what to do with their material possessions. So... Um, Dante meets Virgil. He's really into Virgil because he's the only he's the best good poet he knows. Um, while they're in limbo, which is where all the people who never knew what Christ was hang out, um, they party with a bunch of other cool poets, of which Dante is definitely one. Yeah, that's the cool thing about him hanging out with Virgil is he it's it's like the equivalent of hanging out with like a movie director and then being like you know i've got a script, <laughs> got a script that i think right you're here. really gonna love that I, if you just read it i think you'd think it was great it's all about who you know um <laughs> we learned that uh dante's like 
dead love girlfriend Beatrice has like asked for Virgil's help with him. And so Virgil's going to help her out and give him a tour of hell, I guess, to teach him stuff. It's really unclear why Dante's here or what exactly he needs to learn. He doesn't have, like, a boss to defeat or anything, but he's going to go down there. Um, so, as I said, we meet the people who never knew Jesus. We meet um, the carnal malefactors in the Circle with Lust. Same, I guess. Yeah, we uh, go to, like, a place where it's slushy, icy rain where all the gluttons hang out. We meet Cerberus, who's not a dog. It's like a big worm thing. Oh, wait, if I'd been a little more on the ball, I would have made a joke about like Minnesota or something. <laughs> for the <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, in that we in that circle, we met some dudes who are involved in medieval Italy griping. There's we're gonna meet some more. Um, I yeah. We'll talk okay. about that. Yeah, it's not sure a thing will. I expected coming into the book, and it is apparently a big part of at least what the Inferno is up to. Um, and I, I people have spent a lot of time on it, so we shouldn't just like dismiss it wholesale. But it is there's not a lot what of scholarship on it because you need scholarship yes. to even understand what is going on. Yes. So that's that's a thing. We'll talk um, about that in a minute. We get through. Um, as I said, the greed folks, we get to the swampy river sticks where all the angry, wrathful people just fight each other in the mud, like Woodstock 95 or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> 99, I think probably. I think it was 99. Um, and then we come to Canto 8 and it opens with Dante seeing like a big Sauron-esque flaming tower kind of thing. Um, and he's like, Yo, Virgil, what's that? And Virgil's like, don't worry about it. We're going there. <laughs> this is, right, this is the city of Dis, right? The city of Dis. Which D-I-S. Is, which is apparently a like another name for hell slash another name for Lucifer. It's it's all sorts. It means we're going in it. We're going to, to where it really counts. And so this is a whole city where people get tormented and tortured, and then the seventh circle is like in... The six and seven circles are in here, right? I yes, I think the sixth circle is inside. And uh, Virgil is like, "Well, you built this whole hell city devoted to torture. Like, why don't you torture everybody in the hell city? Why do you have these hell <laughs> suburbs that you've made that's, for and different the exurbs. people?" And um, we need to get high heck, speed internet like the, to rural like, hell. More like the hex serbs. <laughs> um. And Virgil's explanation of this is um, he he tells like Don, he draws this distinction between different types of sin, right? Like th- there is sin that is just like a thing that you do. So yes. like you're, you're sloth or you're gluttony or whatever. And then people in dis are typically those who do sins to other people. Yes. Um, every this is in uh, Canto nine uh, toward the beginning. Uh, this is uh, Virgil talking to Dante. Mm-hmm. Every evil deed despised in heaven has as its end injustice. Each such end harms someone else through either force or fraud. But since the vice of fraud is man's alone, it more displeases God, and thus the fraudulent are lower down, assailed by greater pain. The first circle, and I guess. The seventh circle of hell is split up into three other it is. smaller it's split circles. Into it's three kind of, rings. Yes, it's kind of. I mean, a ring is just a different kind of. No, circle. but that's it's why a, he uses different words. It's a little bit 
like when you are adapting a movie for or adapting a book for the big screen and you get to the last book and you're like, you know, I think this could really be two or three. <laughs> and movies. we're going to film them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first circle holds the violent, but is divided and constructed in three rings. Since yep. violence takes three different forms, violence may be aimed at God, oneself or at one's neighbor, thus against all three or their possessions, as I shall now explain. And he goes on to talk about like. It's you're doing stuff to other people. You're doing stuff to yourself. So like suicide or kind of squandering your own earthly goods. Yep. And Which like we'll get own, into what like, that means. And, yeah. And substances. And then uh, like violence against God. So blasphemy and like taking his name in vain. And yep. Yep, violence yep, yep. may be committed against God when we deny and curse him in our hearts or when we scorn nature and her bounty. Yes. Um, I want to uh, I want to come back to that when we get to like Canto 15 because I think I have a an interpretation of what nature's bounty means there. Yeah, because this this is the central passage of this this episode of Hellboy's because this is uh, Virgil explaining this is basically what we're gonna do and all the people who are down here and then the next few cantos are all just descending into this yes into these rings within the circle yeah and I don't think that Virgil did this last time he didn't we didn't get to like it was a lot more of oh we're here and let me explain it and this is one of the first like canto nine is pretty important canto 10 has a lot of Virgil talking as well I think it's um, all Virgil being like listen man I know you've seen some stuff so far but oh, the stuff you're gonna see is pretty screwed up yeah I'm scrolling <laughs> I just I'm, feel like you need to be you need to be ready for I'm it. scrolling into my notes for Canto 11 and that's really when Virgil's like sit down buddy I gotta tell you about all the sin that everybody <laughs> does um but first we gotta get into the city of Dis, and uh right there's like a Sort of Wizard of Oz esque. It is a Wizard of Oz who keeps situation. them out of the city. The, witch, the devil's not home. <laughs> and they're like, there's a bunch of fallen angels who are like, who's this not dead guy? Please take him away. Um, Virgil tries to get in and they don't listen to him, which was a cool moment because he comes back muttering, quote, who dares deny me access to the realm of pain? Yeah, he's like a guy who sold himself as like an insider, like, oh, I can get you in yep. anywhere. And then you find out, oh, really, this guy's not nobody? <laughs> yes. Um, and in the notes for this section, Hollander uh, says that the city of Dis has like hard stone walls, which help reflect that these are sins of hardened will, not just like whims, which is what you were talking about before. So Canto 9... We get like a brief moment where there are furies there, where the Greek furies are there hanging out, evil serpent ladies and Medusa. As we've, yeah, the the Inferno seems to be like half. Here's what happens to the Greek people: like they're just all in hell because yeah. they didn't believe in Jesus. <laughs> and then the other half is, I mean, it's not. I don't even know that Jesus comes up. It's all like it's just God, God yeah, in Christianity. Yeah. Um, and then the other half of it is like Dante's burn book for everybody in Italy who ever did him a bad well, turn. Well, we're going to get both versions of that because we're going to get some yeah. burn book stuff and then we're going to get some dudes that he really likes, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, but so, yes, the Furies threaten um, Dante with Medusa. There's a th the first note I found in this section, Virgil protects Dante's eyes from looking at Medusa. And I found in the notes Hollander citing himself 
superpower is, move. It's like, oh, maybe there's a meaning here because Dante says we should look for one, which is that like stoic restraint sometimes isn't enough. You need outside forces or maybe you need God to like actually keep you from temptation. I'm like, okay. I was mostly just struck that Hollander in the notes is like, here's a paper I wrote where I argued this point. <laughs> Um, we've learned that Virgil. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's a great paper. It's a wonderful paper. I'm sure. Um, we see that Virgil can't talk his way through stuff, and then God like sends a sick angel down to like X Games across the River Styx and open the doors for everybody. It's like some kind of intern angel up in heaven who's like got to go down to hell and keep things, keep people in line every yeah, once in a while. Unclear if it's like Archangel Michael, if it's the roman god mercury like it's just somebody flies across the water the way jesus walks across water um and he lets them in um virgil is like hey i have made this trip before when i had not been long naked of my flesh whoa uh so we don't know like hollander says that we don't know where this story is from like what Virgil was doing the first time he took a dude down to hell, down to the bottom of hell. Um, it seems like it's pretty much made up. Um, like there's no yeah, I mean, like Dante's just kind of making all this up, right? Like it doesn't have to be. It's it's. I don't know that we have a like an in depth history for like the <laughs> the mythology of what happened to Virgil after he died. You know. Well, it's just interesting that he takes great pains to like include various aspects of mythology and then as we've been dropping hints, like various aspects of recent Italian history. And yet he's also like, nah, here's the thing I just made up. This is whatever. Yeah, half the footnotes are just like, this is the Pope that Virgil is really <laughs> mad at in this passage. Um, just before we get into Canto 10, we get inside the walls and there are arch heretics in flaming tombs, like shoved dozens of people into a single flaming tomb. Um, heresy being a sin of will, Hollander says, because it takes work to deny God. Otherwise, you're just a simpleton. Otherwise, you just don't get it. Sure. In Dante's <laughs> world. That's how that works. So then, yeah. Then, Andrew, this... I was confused by Canto 10. Okay. Because it was it was mostly just Dante talking to two burning ghosts, one of whom was worried how his son was... And the other one was just kind of ranting about being able to see the future. The other one was just kind of mad about stuff, right? Yeah. What was what was going on here? I don't know that I can tell you, which is going to be one of the things about Hellboys that's different from... The Odyssey? Homer time is that at least for Homer time, I had made a study of some of the stuff for... Sure some period of time in school. I'm coming completely blind to the Inferno. I don't know the full background of why Dante would be upset at these guys or would need to... I don't even know that he's upset at them. They're just like ghosts coming out of boxes yeah, being like, like why, talk why to these, me. Why these specific ghosts saying these specific things? Yes. The... And I don't know if, you, if the footnotes revealed anything to you that was instructive or what here's what i and okay so we're gonna talk about the we're gonna keep talking about the footnotes because it's literally the only way that i can make sense of this crazy poem um there's like there's two guys there's farinata and there's calvacante and 
Hello, Fada. <laughs> uh, apparently, they were both exiles. And we talked a little bit in the biography section of the last episode that Dante is is winds up being exiled from Florence. And that had happened by the time he wrote this poem, though I think the Dante who goes to hell has yet to be exiled. So uh, maybe he's including them for some sort of resonance reason there. Farinata is the one who's like, hey, I'm dead. I live in this box. And I can see the future, but I can't see the present. I need you to tell me about the present. So is, is Farinata the one he talks? To, he starts talking to, and not the one who pops up like midway through the conversation, like, "Hey, what are you guys talking yeah, about?" Yeah, that's Guido's dad, <laughs> Calvacante, who's like, "Hey, can you tell me about my son Guido? Can we talk about Guido?" And that I think Guido was like a real friend of Dante's, and so he's like, "Hey, how's my son? I don't know how he's doing." Um, I was trying and to Dante make Dante just kind of like low key. <laughs> Like he asks if his son is dead and Dante just takes too long to answer and the ghost takes that as a sign and then slinks back into his coffin or whatever There's a reason. lot of that, of dead people being like, Dante, what's up? And Dante just kind of shrug guys at them and they're like, ah, crap. And then they just leave. Um, I think I was trying to figure out what the whole like they can't see the present thing might mean vis-a-vis them being heretics and i don't really know i think there must be a connection there but all i can see is that there might be one i don't know why i think that's important like i I don't know why dante spends a page like talking about how they can see the future but like can't like actually see what's going on on earth right now yeah i don't know it must be maybe it's something about being able to see how things turn out, but not always being able to see how they got that way or to like do anything about it or, or like being cursed with this belief. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't remember which one of them says it. It might be Farinata. He's like, Oh yeah, there's like a thousand other dudes in this box with me. There's like a Cardinal and and like a thousand other losers. I'm not going to talk about them. (laughs) Clown coffin. It is. Uh, they come in and out of it looking like, you know, Christ raising from the dead, but then they have to go back into their burn box. Um, then we get to Canto, Canto 11, which is most of what you were talking about before, which is where Virgil lays out all of the violence stuff and that we're going into the real hell. You thought we're we going, were in, in hell. In Canto 11, we go into the stinky circle. We go into the stinky circle. Um, there's like a little moment where there's like, oh yeah, there's a Pope in that box. And then like, let me tell you that these people are worse because they mean it. Um, Canto 12, we go into the seventh circle. This is violence, Andrew. This is the one with the three rings. We, Why do we spend like a second with the Minotaur? What's that about? I'm... <laughs> I don't understand why we spend a second with a Minotaur. I don't understand why. I mean, I guess I I do understand why we kind of breeze through the rest of the circles. Like, I think we talked about this a little bit in the, in the first episode is we were really surprised a little bit by just how quickly some of those circles went by. But now that we're in the ones where people meant to be bad, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we need to spend a lot more time here just examining them and what real-world Italians they may or may not be or be related to. I do. Oh, I forgot to shout out. When we were back in Canto 8, riding across the River Styx, um, we get the first in this episode of Hellboys of Dante's burn book. Um, 
There's a dude in the mud in the river sticks named Filippo Argenti, and he's there, and Dante's like, I hate this dude. And Virgil's like, yeah, I hate this dude, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then a bunch of like mud, mud people come up and tear him apart. Uh, according to the footnotes, uh, Filippo's brother seized a bunch of Dante's stuff when Dante got exiled. So now your brother's in hell, sucker. Got you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't decide if Dante owns or if he infuriates me, but sometimes I think he owns. I can't decide if he owns or if he's just really petty. You know, I think it might be a little bit of both. (laughs) It's like my relationship with Twitter. Um, So the, the Minotaur thing happens at the beginning of the Seventh Circle. There is this bit where there's like loose rocks and references to an earthquake. I think that's supposed to be when Christ was killed. Like, okay. there was some sort of earthquake in hell because God's only son was killed. I don't really right. know what the importance, why that's important to Dante, but it's like here they talk about it. Um, I mean, it's kind of one of the important Christianity <laughs> events. Sure. It's like, that's probably, I just assume it's that if, I, it, I, if you don't know otherwise. I just mean, why is it important to him, like, traveling right now? I don't know. Um, so then we get to the Boiling Blood River, Andrew. Tell me about the Boiling Blood River and who's in it. It's... A boiling blood river and like there's no way there's no fire over it right no it's just boiling blood um Which this se- is i mean it's it's mainly like murderers and and like warmongers and stuff right yes. who are living in this in this blood river like and they are in there like up to depending on how bad they were that's how far they have to that's stay how, yeah there there are some areas where only their feet are being burned by the burning blood river and then riding around it are like centaurs, <laughs> three awesome centaur archers who who just who, their whole job is to make sure that people don't come too far out of the boiling blood river because you're supposed to be a specific amount of immersed, I guess, based on how much bad stuff you did. <laughs> I just like um, it, it's like a little kid playing dungeon master where he's just like, well, here's a boiling blood river and there's centaurs there. Yeah, but but uh, uh, so in this in this river, you've got folks like Alexander the Great, Attila the um, Hun. You've got Attila the Hun. You've got Pyrrhus, who's the Pyrrhic victory is oh, named sure. for him. I sure, think. sure, yeah. And a few a few other people, and a few more modern people, of course, mixed in with the historical figures because this is Virgil, and he does have an axe to grind with somebody in Florence. Who, yes, like didn't pay him back on time after he got them a beer or something. It's and so now true. they're in hell in his book. I, I get the sense from the footnotes in general that there's over the centuries, there has been, there must've been a lot of effort of folks being like, who is this guy that Dante spent a page complaining about? I must go through whatever primary sources I can find from the city of Florence to track down, you know, jerky guido or whoever it is that made dante so mad um i can't help but wonder like i and maybe this is a stone that dante scholarship has not overturned because they would just like blow away in a cloud of dust or something but i'm curious (laughs) 
with a work that gets examined this thoroughly and just taken apart so much that the footnotes are much greater in volume than the actual text. Did he, did he intend it to Mm. require this guy? And, And I'm not just talking about the kind the kind of footnotes you get with Shakespeare or even the kind of things you would need to add so that someone 30 years from now can like understand context and stuff of like pop culture that we're making right now. Like not just stuff that would, that, that people would need to understand what was going on, but also all this like historical stuff and the, like the, the metaphors and the, yeah. Did he, did he, did he, did he mean it? Did he think, did he think about it as hard as these people are thinking about it? Well, I guess that's, I mean, that's a good art question, right? Is like, it how much of the meaning that people have extracted from this seminal work was intended and how much of it was like just some cool imagery and Don and then that's where Dante stopped. You know, and, I think and at a certain point it's not even important yeah. because people have extracted the yes, meaning correct. and it it does mean something and, and well, it's you know, we taught put, that way. And, we put yeah. the toilet in the museum and now it's art, Deschamp. Like, that's just how it worked. Um, <laughs> I But there's like, so to that point, one of the things that I was like interested in that came up in the footnotes that I wouldn't have thought about is um, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it even though I was thinking about it. So when they meet the centaurs, I think the one who's in charge, Nessus, like notices that Dante's feet like displace rocks in the ground. Right, like his his body is physically interacting with the world around them. Yes, which is like but how does hell work? <laughs> like <laughs> And then I mean the the point being that everybody else is like shades or ghosts or whatever and and the fact that he can interact with physical objects and apparently hell i guess would be a physical place exactly because the rivers are like connected to earth rivers we spend a lot of time talking about rivers in these cantos and i don't (laughs) understand any of it um i guess you'd have to get there somehow there's a there's so much and clearly (laughs) clearly dante is informed by like greek mythology and and greek epic and stuff and those stories are full of like these these lines, the, these blurry lines between the world of the living and world of the dead. Like Correct. Odysseus That's a good point. That's a good point. can go and make and like cook up a big tub of blood and just like talk to all his <laughs> dead friends for a couple hours. And there are, you know, there are stories of people going down and trying to get people, you know, save people yeah, from that's Hades a good point. and then they turn back and they're disappeared forever. Like it it is a place where you can go and because where everybody knows these, your name. All all these <laughs> All these myth, well, mostly Dante knows your name and he knows what you did and he's going to tell everybody. But it's a place you can go in myth. All these mythological figures are down here also. So, like, I don't know. It raises a question about whether Hades at some point was like, you know, not that many people believe in the old gods anymore. I got to sell this place. <laughs> and so he just like sells hell to God. Who kind of repurposes it and like really does a does a uh yeah, what's one of the like house flipper shows names? Oh, oh um he, well he calls the property brothers and he's like, Hey, I gotta get out of here. It's like property brothers or like this old hell or yeah. something, and he just really turns it around, makes it his own. 
<laughs> Bob Vila would be in hell. Are you kidding me? Bob Vila's helped so many people. Yeah, but, but he's he, done violence to a lot of houses. He's done a lot of violence to a lot of houses. Um, there is like a sick shot of one of the centaurs like pulling up an arrow against his beard, like he's gonna shoot it. And I'm like, I didn't know centaurs have beards. Um, why? Why wouldn't they? They got man top halves, so they could grow a beard. Do you think centaurs like shirts? If you gave a I don't think a lot of centaurs have worn shirts. But do you think if you gave a centaur like a cool shirt, will he wear it? Yeah, I think so. He wouldn't find it like oppressive, like we were trying well, to make he, him a well, human like, horse. Uh, how else is he going to cheer on his favorite sports team if that's, he can't put see, on like a good jersey what or I'm something? Thinking. Yeah. All right, you get me. You understand. <laughs> um, so we leave the boiling blood river behind. We leave the centaurs behind. We move into the second ring of the seventh circle of hell in Canto Thirteen, which is the wood of the suicides. No, we're not talking about what happens when you mix all the sodas together at the soda fountain. We're talking about people who ended their own lives for one reason or another. Yes. And it's like people who attempt it or commit it are turned into thorny trees that harpies mess with. Why are the harpies there? And when you rip the trees apart, like they bleed blood. Yes. Um. Don, Virgil's like, hey, why don't you just go break one of those trees and you'll find out. What just see what happens. And, the, and then he goes and he does it. And the tree's like, no, why did you do that? He's literally, why do you break me? Um, and so from the broken splinter oozed blood and words together. Gross. Uh, he learns that it's some minister who f- like fell out of favor with someone and then was imprisoned and blinded. Uh, he maintains his innocence, but he took his own life rather than suffer more punishment. Um, and there's like a lot of back and forth about like what will happen to these people. Um, I don't think that they're going to get included in whatever resurrection. They're going to be stuck as these trees and their corpses are going to hang from their limbs. Well, and there's an, there's an interesting implication here. So we, we get at some point to some woman she's called a slut in this in this i've i've seen that as a reference to envy actually but go ahead sure uh the slut who never took her whoring eyes from caesar's household the common bane and special vice of courts inflamed all minds against me and they inflamed did so inflame augustus that welcome honors turned to dismal woe my mind in scornful temper hoping by dying to escape from scorn made me though just against myself unjust Mm. So you get this picture of, okay, I I hurt myself, and that's bad. But there's no sense of, I I guess in the book, there's an implication that there is some, like, bigger justice that was served, but it doesn't matter because it was done through a different injustice, which seems bad. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it... uh, there's, it's tough. There are so many ways to end up in hell in this book. Uh-huh. Like you 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 took somebody delivered to your table the wrong <laughs> order and you ate it anyway. Sorry, buddy. You're in hell now. You've done harm to somebody. But I'm curious to see once we get once we start moving up, what did the people do or not do? To get that got them up there, yeah, because it is like we talked about this last time too. There are moments where Dante has like pity 
for people who are down there, like particularly in that lust chapter where there's like, I couldn't help it. She was so hot or whatever it was. And it's like, well, you're not a terrible person. You just did the bad thing. And now you're down here. And there's, there's more of that in these first cantos in the city of Dis than I expected. Yeah. Wasn't there that whole passage in, in the first episode? And I don't, rem- I'm sorry. Cause I don't remember the specifics, but like there is, intense scholarly debate whether we are supposed to pity or correct this this like shade that is talking to yes 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 like whether or not we are supposed to be angry or upset at like an adulterer um and whether or not dante feels upset at this person um and there's even some scholarship about some other like characters that we meet in this section of like could you be down here for more than one sin or not? And like, what sin are you actually being punished for? Cause clearly you probably did some other ones. Just probably whatever one you were best at. Right. <laughs> That's true. Um, while they're talking to this tree, Andrew, they get interrupted by some shades who are running through the woods. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Uh, we're talking about harpies. No, no. we're talking about the dogs that just are chasing some people through the woods. Oh, behind, behind them now, the woods were thick with bitches, black and ravenous and swift as hounds loosed from the leash. Yes. I'm not sure. These are like, I was reading up on this to figure out what happened and they're like spendthrifts, I think. (laughs) I didn't really get what these people had done wrong necessarily the whole thing that's the whole thing (laughs) but the dogs really tear them up and they also cause damage to the woods and get like stabbed by the trees and stuff um Mm -hmm. so they're in hell like there's some people we just walk by and they go like you're in hell and you're in hell and sorry buddy (laughs) um we wander into canto 14 which is the third ring of the seventh circle and it is a plain of burning sand with flaming flakes of of like not snow. It's like just fire coming from the sky. And if you'll remember from our brief explainer above, this is the this is the ring of the circle preserved for those who have who have done harm to God in some way. The first circle was murderers, those who have done harm to others. The second one was suicide, those who have done harm to themselves. Or, you know, to to their natural gifts or their goods. And then this one's the one for blasphemers. So here's what I have. Oh, vengeance. This is Dante speaking. Oh, vengeance of God, how much should you be feared by all who read what now I saw revealed before my eyes? I saw many a herd of naked souls all crying out in equal misery through each seemed subject to a different law. I just wrote next to that burning man because I know they're on this big desert. Um, some lay face up upon the ground, some sat their bodies hunched, and others roamed about in constant motion. Um, and from what I read elsewhere, those three images are like important. Like there are blasphemers on like stretched out on the ground. Um, what most scholarship thinks are like sodomites running in circles, and then the usurers are like crying and huddled on the ground. Um, there's also just a dude just standing there taking it. <laughs> Do you remember that guy, Caponeus, or whatever, who, ver- who, like, he didn't, he's like, was one of the kings who did a siege of Thebes, 
and he's just standing there like taking the fire snow. Yeah, you suffer greater punishment in your own anger lies your agony, a fitting torment for your rage. Um, He was among the seven kings who once laid siege to Thebes and held, and he still seems to hold God in disdain and to esteem him highly or lightly. Uh, But his own spiteful ranting, as I make clear, most fittingly adorns his breast. So he's just mad and he's still mad. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a, a Greek tragedy anger at the gods kind of mad like the thing you end up getting punished for at the end of a greek tragedy named after you well and so and what he's mad at because we're talking about you know thebes and stuff he's mad at like zeus slash mm-hmm. jupiter he's not even mad at christian at god christian god but christian god is still like well you hate god if, if i had been here it would have been me so i guess your grandfather yep. into this punishment uh-huh um there's also a funny bit in the footnotes where um Hollander cites one of his students, um, a student, Edward Sherling, Princeton, 82, some years ago suggested that Virgil, already angered by Dante's wry reminder of his previous insufficiency before the walls of Dis, is now having his revenge on Caponaeus. <laughs> a revenge especially pleasing when Virgil considered what Caponaeus was quite effective doing and what he himself had utterly failed to do, besting the defenders of the walls of a hostile city. So he gets to yell at a dude who sieged a city when Virgil couldn't. I just like that Hollander was like, hey, I had a dude named Edward who pointed this out and it seemed pretty cool. <laughs> there is this moment in Inferno 11, which I think is after the dis incident, right? Yes. Where Virgil gets... <laughs> where Dante goes to ask a question about some... Oh, he's asking, like, why are some people punished in the city and some people punished outside? And Virgil says to Dante, uh, not often do your wits stray far afield as they do now, or is your mind bent on pursuing other thoughts? <laughs> like, hey, idiot, why are you asking me this stupid question? Like, the the vaguely antagonistic Virgil relationship like like I guess you don't you don't fully understand why Virgil is doing this in the first place and then he was sometimes told Virgil to. yeah acts like he doesn't really want to be correct correct that's um, very funny so after we see Capneus standing in the fire snow we do get a like geography lesson of hell that I only sort of understand um, where there's like, here's where the blood river comes from. Here's it flows into this other river of fire. Right. It's like here's this here's this like dry, dried beach desert, and there's like a wood around it, and then here's a here's a blood river that's sort of con- flowing out or like yep connected to the other blood river that we saw earlier with the centaurs, and it's connected to a different like myth about. Um, the island of Crete and like what the mountains are made of. So it's, again, it's, you were talking about this before. It's similar to other um, myth. It's like connecting the real world with this mythical world in a way that I think is interesting. Um, I don't know the geography of this land or the geography of this hell, so I can't really put two and two together. But I, I imagine an Italian reader would have a better understanding of that. And then 15 and, and 16 both yep. are sort of just Dante 
like meeting people who he knows and respects and kind of fanboying out a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Like I can't. Oh man, I can't believe Brunetto Latini's down here in hell with me. That's so cool. How are yeah. you doing? He does. He tells Brunetto, "I lost my way." We still don't know like what that means, right? We, right. And I don't know if we're ever gonna know. But what for whatever reason Dante's down here, um, and yeah, he's like super pumped. To meet Brunetto, who I guess like wrote, he wrote some poems. Um, he asks him at the end of the canto to like remember my treasure or something, which is italicized. It's like the title of one of two major poems he wrote or something. Okay, sure. Um, and Dante respects him a lot. He says like, oh, you taught me how a man can be immortal. Like, I presume, which is like through creating works of art through creating something. rad works of art that are just as good as anything that like Homer or Virgil <laughs> or anyone came up with. Yeah. Right. True. 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 Uh, Brunetto, I think like prophecies that Dante's going to get screwed and he's going to get exiled. And Dante says, you know what? I'll let, I'll let fortune do her thing. It'll, I'll survive. I'll be okay. Um, this is believed to be where we see um, in like it's like sodomites and punishment of like gay people in Dante's hell though Hollander does point out like that there is some conflicting scholarship that it might just be people who are interested in sodomy and not specifically people who are not heterosexual okay. it's really I unclear mean, was our understanding of things advanced enough and when when dante was alive that we were making that distinction at all yeah i don't really know um there is like a reference to uh brunetto's or someone else's like sin stretched sinews which may be yeah like the butt maybe Mm. Mm. interesting Um, so yeah it's other uh, like it's pretty much taken for granted that that's what this section is talking about i was surprised to find in hollander's notes that there were some other scholarship at least attempting to provide other explanations for what he was he was upset about i mean i think hollander's notes are such that if anyone in (laughs) the last thousand years has ever disagreed (laughs) with this hollander is gonna dig it up and tell you about it that's a good point that's why i'm having having fun with those notes because it's like anything's possible Mm-hmm. Edward from 1982 had a point. We got to put him in there. <laughs> in Inferno 16, I had arrived where we could hear the distant roar of water falling to the lower circle like the rumbling hum of bees around a hive. We haven't really talked about how every every canto in this translation begins with sort of a summary of... Like where we are? Where we are and, and what's happening, you know, in in each line. So Inferno, and I was, I haven't been burned by this yet, but I am burned by it in Inferno 16 because his summary of lines one to three is the sound of the waterfall at the border ahead, colon, bees. <laughs> I was led to believe there would be bees and the poem is pretty clear that it just sounds like bees. So where's my bees? <laughs> Is what I'm asking you. So you're talking about this outline page. I don't think we've given too much credence to before. That's what that's what I was saying. It's, yes, it's, it's it is a helpful, especially knowing nothing about the the 
Inferno as I do. It's it's a helpful sort of summary of what's coming, and then you kind of know what to pay attention to and what to let your attention like yes latch on to when you're when you're trying to talk about another it. of so the sound of the waterfall at the border ahead colon bees where's my bees but then it makes where's sense. my hell bees like three shades see that dante is florentine and stop him like that makes more sense that makes way more sense than a few lines down where it just says simile wrestlers <laughs> <laughs> So he does, he meets three. But, it, but at least that's yes. a, it's a summary of what happened. That's Whereas true. the thing. The bees are. With the, yes. With the bees. I'm sorry. Like, there I were wanted, no bees. I, I wanted bees. I'm and sorry. then there's a roar of a waterfall sound like bees. That's all it was. Um. So he meets three dudes who are like, I guess, running in a circle together, oiled and naked. Um. In college or what? Mm. Or the pledging, pledging some kind of frat. They they like are running in a circle. They I don't think they're allowed to stop moving. Again, it's possible that they're still in the like sodomite category. I'm a little unclear about that. Um, it's Guido Guerra, Tigiaho Alba Brandi, and Jacopo Rusticucci. Um, <laughs> those are my best attempts at those. And I think Jacopo does most of the talking. Um, They're like excited to see another dude from Florence so that they can maybe find out about what's going on up there. They'll just kind of catch up about Florence for a while. Yes. uh, Jacopo does say, quote, it was my bestial wife more than all else who brought me to this pass. Um, That's where some, some of the stuff that Hollander says in the end notes about like, is he just... Was she into just sodomy or was he in an unhappy marriage and then looked for, you know, happiness elsewhere? What's going on there? I don't know. Um, Unclear why we're hanging out with these Italian dudes. Like, I don't know who these Italian dudes are. The poem doesn't care to tell me. And I just know that there are three dudes down here. Yeah, usually when... when Virgil or when uh, Dante knows somebody he's like hey I know you even though your face is all burned and stuff like (laughs) you're this guy what's your deal and then we hear all about him but no these guys are like excited that he's wearing Florentine clothes but I don't think that anybody knows each other Um, and they're excited someone else is like down here who recently died and has told them things that makes them worry about Florence and they basically asked Dante if it sucks as much as they've heard. <laughs> and he's, and this is all he says. This, my face uplifted, I cried out. And the three, taking it for answer, looked at one another as men do when they face the truth. So he doesn't even get to answer them. He just kind of pulls a face. And they're like, oh, man, it's it does suck. kind of implies suck. that it's bad. Man, it does really suck up there, huh? Um, And then they just kind of wish him the best. Like... Talk to people, have a good time. We gotta go. We gotta mm-hmm. keep running in a circle. Yeah, I mean, you can't take breaks in hell, probably. I don't think you're allowed to take breaks in hell. Um, and then they like walk. Therefore, so may you escape from these dark regions to see again the beauty of the stars when you shall rejoice in saying, I was there. See that you speak of us to others. Yeah, there's a, okay. That continues the theme of people telling Dante, like, please, for the love of God, talk to, about me to someone when you're alive again. 
I I long to be remembered. They don't get a lot of the living down here. No, <laughs> no, they do not. Um, and then the they are uh, Dante and Virgil are moving on, and the and the canto kind of ends on a cliffhanger. It does. It does. Do you want to read this? Yeah, I do. Um, Virgil's like, "Hey, give me your belt. <laughs> I need you. Give me that cord that you have on your belt, um, and I'm gonna drop it off this cliff." Um, and and Virgil then says, "Soon what I expect and your mind only dreams of will appear. Soon it shall be right before your eyes." Um, and then Dante says, "And by the strains of this comedy, so may they soon succeed in finding favor. I swear to you, reader, which is an interesting turn of phrase, that I saw coming up through that dense and murky air a shape to cause amazement in the stoutest heart, a shape most like a man's who, having plunged to loose the anchor, caught fast in a reef or something other hidden in the sea, now rises, reaching upward and drawing in his feet." Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. You'll have to listen to the next Hellboys to find out who it is. Yeah, I don't know why this ends with like I'm summoning a monster. But I, don't, I guess I don't know what's next. I mean, we're just we're getting to the end of all the circles and the rings and stuff. Like maybe it's time to fight a boss monster. Yeah, that could be it. We're what so we're like roughly halfway through the inferno right now. And we're we're already at the final two circles, which seems a little intense. To yeah. me. I don't know what's mm. gonna be down there. But I yeah, I don't know what the structure of the thing is. So I guess we'll find out. That's why we're here. That's why we're reading this book. Yeah. What's the deal with these Italians, Andrew? We should this will be the the thing that kind of wraps us up. Like what's what do you his, mean? What's the deal with the Italians? I think like we were talking about this earlier, like how much of these con- quote unquote contemporary references or contem- like vaguely contemporary references to Dante, do you think like the reader's supposed to get it doesn't seem like he is writing for a timeless reader does that make sense yeah i mean these are these are contemporary folks like they were people who were alive in the like the century preceding the late like 1200s or or, or whatever like they, they were people who even if like maybe Dante wouldn't know them personally because they're dead, but they would definitely be <laughs> folks who people knew, right? Like yeah. it would be like if I wrote a book about hell and like Dwight Eisenhower was down there. <laughs> like if we did, we weren't alive during the, during the days of Eisenhower, but we know who he is and we would, we would have some idea of what the like implications were or what his like popular image was and what we were trying to say by including him in hell. Yeah. Probably. That's a good point. That's a good point. Like, like, okay. So I do a book about hell, right? Yes. And I meet Dwight D Eisenhower down in hell and he's like, tell me about America. Did we fix that problem with the military industrial complex? <laughs> and, you... and I would take too long to answer and Dwight <laughs> D Eisenhower would get really upset and he would run away from me. And so that, I feel like that would be the closest yeah, that not sounds... not being a scholar as I am, that would be the closest <laughs> analogy I could I could draw. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to probably get to some more like myth, like not mythical because we met a lot of myths, but just some some folks of greater standing that like I am more familiar with. I certainly expected more of that, though. I guess a dude writing in the 13th century or whatever hasn't heard of all the like the bad Renaissance people that i know (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. that's really what i'm missing all right well we gotta find out next time who comes up out of this hole
Yeah. On Hell Boys. Yeah. Thanks for joining us in Hell. If you want to send us an email in Hell, you can send that to overduepod at gmail.com. You want to send us who you think should be in Hell, I guess. <laughs> Put it on our Twitter or our Facebook at overduepod. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? You can go to overduepodcast.com and up there they can find links to uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our RSS feed. We're also available on Stitcher and Spotify. And if you want to get these episodes early, like if you're listening to this, I don't know. End not, of July. If you're listening to yeah. this before the end of July, yeah, you're doing it because you're a patron. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash overduepod. And I believe if you donate at the $10 a month or above level, you get yep. these monthly when they come out. And then if you're listening to it later in July, you must be somebody else because that's when we release the two episodes <laughs> at a time to everyone else. That's how it works. Um, so yeah, if you're reading along with us, next uh, the next single episode of Hellboys is going to cover the next nine cantos of the Inferno. I don't know how to do that math right now. I think it's cantos 17 through 25 or so. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's nine. Great. Um, And you know what we say every week here on Hellboys. Yep. May your woods be thick with bitches. (laughs) 